time to wake up. It's Saturday morning. Find some milk and cereal. Grab a bowl and spoon. No, a bigger spoon. Head to the living room and take a seat on the floor. But Joseph and Chris present to you... Saturday Morning Cartoon! Hello everybody and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoon Boom! Ooh, this is a loud boom. This is a show where you pop down in the living room floor with a big bowl of cereal and watch all your favorite cartoons, both old and new. I'm Joseph. And I'm Chris. And today, we watched The Pirates of Dark Water, as recommended by Miles from the More You Nerd podcast, at The More You Nerd on Twitter. The Pirates of Dark Water aired from 91 to 92, created by David Kirshner, ran for two seasons, 21 episodes, produced by Hanna-Barbera Productions, and originally aired on ABC. For a short synopsis from IMDb, a young man learns that he is a prince with an urgent quest to save his world by finding 13 magical treasures of rule. Kind of like 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah. I didn't even really think about that. That's a good parallel. Also incomplete, like the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. Oh, I see what's going on. Something about the number 13 it makes these shows unlucky. If they just did like five treasures, they'd be able to find them they all fine, and the show yeah. would be fine. Yeah. Some of the notable actors from this show, we have Ren, who's voiced by George Newbern. He's also known for voicing Superman and Clark Kent on most of the DC animated series shows since 2001. Ayaz is voiced by Hector Elizondo, who has also voiced some of the characters in the DC series, but he's mostly known for acting in television like Grey's Anatomy and the show Monk. Tula is voiced by Jodie Benson, who is well known for voice acting tons of Disney properties including Little Mermaid, Hercules, 101 Dalmatians, Toy Story, and Kingdom Hearts. We have Lord Bloth, voiced by Brock Peters. Uh, lots of additional voices done by Frank Welker. He did a lot of characters in this show. We also had an appearance by his Transformers counterpart. Mantis was voiced by Peter Cullen. And the character of Conk was voiced by Tim Curry. All of those three actors that we just mentioned, we have seen come up several times already in this show. So very, very cool to keep seeing more and more of their work. Yeah, I mean, another tie back to Scooby-Doo, Frank Welker was also from Scooby-Doo. And Peter Cullen also appeared in one of those 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo episodes as well. Not one of the ones we watched, but he was in one. So it's kind of fun seeing Megatron and Optimus Prime pop up in all these other <laughs> worlds. One more thing to mention is that even though this cartoon series was canceled, there is a couple of video games, I believe, and there's also a limited comic series based on Pirates of Dark Water. I haven't been able to get my hands on any, but I'm going to be looking for them anywhere I can because I enjoyed this cartoon and I want to see more of it. So if that's the only way I can do it, so be it. Uh, actually, let me bring a few marshmallows out of this cereal bowl real quick and present a few interesting facts. Even though he's originally voiced by Roddy McDowell, Niddler's squawking sounds were done by Frank Welker. This is one of the few Saturday morning cartoons that actually shows two characters dying. I, we didn't see those episodes, but apparently this happens. I'm not surprised by that because this is one of the first cartoons, from what I read, one of the first cartoons that was actually very serious. It was a very serious take on a children's animated show. This was a precursor to, I think, a lot of the other cartoons that may have had serious things like Batman, the animated series. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because originally the show was just released as Dark Water. After the first five episodes, executives at Hanna-Barbera decided to make the show less serious. So from episode six on, 
The show became known as Pirates of the Dark Water and was less serious compared to the first five. So the first five, it was a super intense and serious world. After that, it was still a little serious, but they were a lot more free-formed about it. I can see that because actually, and I don't know what characters they're referring to, but two people die in the first episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. One of the very first thing that happened, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about in just a minute. Yes. So do you have any memories of the show, Chris? Um, Not really. You know, I didn't think I had any memories of this show. So Joseph and I are on another show called Nerds on Tap. And we once had Miles, Plug. who submitted this one to us on that show, to talk about it, about how this was a show he'd love to see redone as a live-action movie. That was the first I thought I had heard of this show. But once we started watching it, I recognized Ren and Lord Bloth. Just basically the look of them. Some of the look of the world looked really, really familiar to me. So my guess is that I might have seen a little bit of this Around that time it aired, but that it's just been so long, I didn't really have much memory of it. For me, I remember the show specifically. Anytime anyone would say Pirates of the Dark Water, I knew exactly what they were talking about. I watched this show, not religiously as a kid, but I know that I caught it whenever it was on. I was very entertained by the idea of the show, and I think I had a few toys actually of it. So this was something that I didn't remember much about. I knew it was kind of serious from when I was a kid, but... The story eluded me. I knew about the dark water, obviously, because it's in the title. But the rest of it was kind of like, well, let me see what it's like now. Because as a kid, I remember enjoying it and I had a lot of fun with it. I have to say, even coming into it now, I did have a lot of fun, probably in a much different way since I'm looking at it with adult eyes, though. So let's jump right into our first three episodes that we watched for today's show. The very first episode, the highest rated episode, and then finally a random or listener chosen episode. In this case, Miles just suggested a couple characters that he likes. So we kind of handpicked this episode based on its involvement with some of these characters. So we'll get to that in a minute. But first, we started with The Quest, season one, episode one. Okay, so basically we're going to just set the stage of the world and then what basically happens throughout this whole episode. So it starts out, this whole thing takes place on this world called Mer, and it looks like it's mostly water. There's lots of crazy creatures and stuff like that, dragons, leviathans under the water. And right now you, you are also introduced to the kingdom of Octopine. There is what is referred to as dark water leaking basically from the core of this planet into the water of Mer and into Octopon, and it's kind of corrupting everything, basically. That's just kind of setting the stage for the events that are about to happen. So we're introduced to Ren, who lives in a lighthouse with this woman that's raised him, and he spots an old man in a capsizing boat that's crashing against the rocks. So Ren goes out and saves him. This man starts talking about Ren's destiny and kind of passes some sort of magic to him. Tells him to seek out somebody named Alamar. Once he goes back to the lighthouse keeper, she explains that she's been raising him and that the old man was actually his father, who was the former king of Octopon named Primus. She gives him a broken blade. It's part of a sword that used to belong to his father and then tells him where to find Alamar. He's kidnapped then by Nidler, who is a monkey bird, on behalf of the pirate Lord Bloth. So he's brought to Bloth's ship and finds out that Bloth is seeking 13 treasures of rule. So it's basically these 13 treasures that if somebody has them in their possession, then they kind of control the fate of Mur. He's thinking that he can use this to his advantage so he can control the dark water, whereas they could potentially be used by somebody like Rin to get rid of the dark water and save the world. 
Rin ends up escaping because Niddler was actually betrayed by Bloth and ends up aiding Rin instead. And then they head to the Abbey of Galdabar, which is where Olimar is supposed to be found. This cloaked figure greets him and gives him a magic compass. It's more of like a gem that or a pendant he wears around his neck. But it lights up and points him in the direction of where each of the 13 treasures are supposed to be. He then meets Alamar, who's this big dragon, and gives him a prophecy that says whoever holds the 13 treasures will basically control the fate of the world. Bloth shows up with his pirates. They kill Alamar. Ren escapes and ends up in this seaside town, kind of regrouping and trying to plan out their next move with Niddler. At the tavern that he's at, he meets Ioz, this older pirate who hears Ren and Nidler talking about treasures, volunteers to help him out because, you know, treasure. There's also a serving girl at this tavern named Tula who overhears them, kind of butts into the conversation, but Ioz keeps chewing her away. Ioz tricks them into stealing a, a ship, and they end up sailing out after the treasure. They end up finding out that Tula stowed away in the bottom of the ship. So now they're all in the ship together. Bloth attacks. They head for the first treasure. And antics ensue. That was a mouthful. Woo! Yeah. There's a lot that happened in that first episode. There was a lot. There was a lot, but it really sets the stage of what's going to happen. It sets the tone for at least the first five episodes of seriousness. You have the death of Primus. You have the death of Alamar. And Alamar is a giant dragon, dude. Like, I wish that Alamar would have come along with them. Like, why couldn't he? It seems like he could have fought off a few little pirates, but I guess he just got overwhelmed. I don't know. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, and they didn't even, like, uh, I don't know. They took the gloves off for this because it was, yes, he's this big dragon. But, I mean, they had, like, the entire crew of Bloth's ship, like, stabbing him and shooting him with arrows and stuff. They don't show, like, the blades actually piercing him or anything, and they don't show any blood. They just kind of show him go down on the ground and he's just covered with the pirates basically. And then you have a close up between Ren and him talking. You're just seeing his face and not so much seeing his body, which, you know, they lead you to believe is probably Swiss cheese by this point. Yeah, but you definitely still get the impression that he is dead. He's I mean, dead. he even says that he's like, you he can't he's, do yeah. anything like he's gone. And then he just kind of stops talking. I think, I think he actually stops talking before he means to like he dies while he's still talking to Rin. yeah like mid-speech you know what i really like niddler's character in this episode and he's kind of degenerated since i could tell yes now he's like a really silly character but in this one he was a very greedy and he was just after food no matter what the cost even in the in the process of his hunt for food he almost dropped Rin because he wasn't going to bring him to anything right so he's just completely in it for himself. He's a selfish monkey bird, and I like his attitude. It's just funny. It's right. funny in a different way. It's not just comedy, like, hijinks. He's funny because he's so selfish. Yeah, you know what? And this, what I'm about to say comes up in one of the other episodes, too. But the actions of Niddler are always controlled by how hungry he is. <laughs> yeah. He will betray anybody if he thinks he's going to get fed. That's the whole reason that... He worked for Bloth and kidnapped Ren was because Bloth promised him food. Bloth ended up saying he's not going to get any food. So Niddler betrays him and Ren says, hey, I'll get you some food. So Niddler helps Ren. So basically he can be bought with food. (laughs) That's all it took. Yeah. Much like me. I I mean, if you've got (laughs) if you got some like hot wings or beer, like I'll do whatever you need. (laughs) If you freeze some grapes for me, I'm all yours. (laughs) That is my currency. Frozen grapes. Quit being healthy. 
<laughs> I I loved this episode. I love the introduction to the world, to the show itself. The animation was beautiful. I loved the water and everything. I love the music. Just the whole feel, the whole aesthetic of this show from this point was really awesome. And it was everything that I was hoping it would be. It has some awesome pirate stuff. Just has some awesome just fantasy things in general. Just I have so many good things to say about this. And honestly, and I don't know why this gave me this feeling, but for whatever reason, watching this first episode gave me this nostalgic feeling for the legend of zelda for some reason and Hmm. i don't know if it's because i felt like ren had somewhat of a similar appearance like in the face to link and you might be able to draw some parallels between the quest that he's going on and the beginning of you know a link to the past or something like that for whatever reason it reminds me of that and it made me like this show even more oh and um the voice of bloth in this first episode is fantastic He's so cool. It, it's a voice that I have not heard in cartoons before. Like a really deep, somewhat Cajun, pirate-ish kind of accent. Like <laughs> a, It's the, the voice that I would associate with like a guy practicing voodoo or black magic in Louisiana. Like that kind of voice. And yeah. I love it. Yeah, totally. And he also, like he has, this is an alien world. So they have, why, the reason I think they did that is because they have a lot of freedom to do whatever they want with it. They can create all these different species. They can make whatever languages they want or whatever speech styles they want. They have these certain sayings that are kind of pirate-like, but also kind of alien-like. Twist my soul is Bloss saying. That sounds good too when he says it. <laughs> As the Cajun black magic dude that he is. Yeah, he's essentially like a voodoo pirate is what he sounds like. And Ayaz, his thing that he says all the time is Jungalunga. <laughs> yeah, all the time, yeah. Ayaz or is I supposed j- to be like kind of Hispanic or something, like the way he talks. I don't know what he is, but he is very against women and animals. He's just, he's all about the bros. He doesn't care for anybody else. Right, especially women. Yeah, especially women. He's he's all about treasure and the bros. They have a really good mix of pirate-like personalities and tendencies with these characters. They did oh, a yeah. really, really good job writing the characters themselves. Yeah, these characters are all very individual. They're not just like copies of each other. They all have their own personalities and they all really stand out. The end of this episode, I'll just say a quote that I really liked was a good way to close the episode and set the stage for what was going to happen. Tula says, East for adventure. Ayaz says for treasure, Rin says for Octopon, and then, as we know, Niddler said, uh, for crying out loud, when are we going to eat? Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's, <laughs> as we said before, he's all about food. That's a really good representation of their personalities right there. Exactly. Yeah, they give you, they lay it out really straightforward in this first episode, and they give you really everything that you need, and it's still only a 22-minute episode. It's not like a longer episode or anything for a start. It just crams so much into it. But it doesn't feel full, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, like it, it honestly, works out well. I mean, with the amount of things they they put into it, I can understand why Miles must see this as a live action movie because it is prime for that. Like the the story and everything they did would would work. This first episode alone could easily work. Like this story could be written out with more detail and made a movie. Absolutely, I could see it. I see where he's coming from. And that was just the first episode. So let's jump over to the second one, see how it continues on. 
It was The Soul Stealer, Season 2, Episode 7. This is the one that I chose because it focuses heavily on Rin and Rin's character. And that being one of Miles' favorite characters, I figured it was something good to bring out for him. So, Miles, this is for you. So in this episode, it starts out with we see Bloth talking to this uh, creature kind of thing in like a like a giant jar that he keeps referring to as the soothsayer. The soothsayer tells him that Rin is the only one destined to collect the treasures, so he comes up with a plan. And what happens is Morpho creates a potion that would basically swap the souls of Rin and Bloth. Per the usual, Rin gets kidnapped. Nidler also, because Nidler and Rin are kind of off, you know, doing their own thing and they get caught off guard. There is an antidote, however. So Bloth trades places with Rin. So basically their souls switch and enter each other's bodies. And then Conk also switches with Nidler because they decided that Rin would be going back to his crew and he couldn't return without Nidler. So they had to have somebody swap souls with Nidler also. And that gets to be Conk. Conk is like a small pirate, kind of a doofus, kind of caveman-like in the way that he speaks. Very simple. So the fake Ren and the fake Nidler return to the crew, and they take port in Jonda Town to get supplies. Ayaz goes off to a game house to gamble. When he doesn't return on time, Ren goes after him. The original crew of their ship, which is called the Wraith, I forgot to mention that in the first episode, the crew that they stole it from is there in Jonda Town and is basically waiting with the captain whose name is Jote. So they get in there, and they capture the fake Rin and put him in what's basically a fighting pit. Now, in the meantime, the fake Bloth, who is Rin in Bloth's body, is smart enough to realize that Bloth is much stronger than him and that the crew of that ship didn't really consider that. So he basically just bends the bars of the cell that he's in and just pretty much walks right on out. So they escape and they head for the same town. So basically, towards the end of the episode, it all ends up with a battle between everybody on the ship, the Wraith. And the others finally realize that it really is Rin and Bloth's body when Tula's life is put in danger. And the fake Rin really doesn't care. And it's Bloth who goes and saves her. So they realize that Ren is actually in Bloth's body. So they help him out. They're able to uh, subdue both Conk and Bloth and switch their souls back. But afterwards, somebody from Bloth's crew comes by on a dragon thinking that the fake Bloth escaped and they swoop down and pick him up to carry him away, not knowing that it's actually their boss Bloth back in his own body. That's pretty much how the episode ends. Something of note real quick. The guy whose ship the Wraith originally was, Jote, in this, he's like a camel pirate dude. He's got a camel face, like literally a camel face. And I went back and watched part of the first episode where the ship was stolen and he ran up to stop them. And he was a human in that episode. He was dressed the same, but he just he was just a regular human. So I guess they weren't as comfortable branching out and pushing those alien species as much in the first episode and they just decided to change it all together i guess they didn't think anybody would go back and watch like i did but i'm calling them on it that's weird yeah you know what i like i like them using more of the alien kind of people anyway it gives it kind of like a star wars kind of feel and that this world could have any number of strange looking humanoids and stuff on it and it's not you know weird to anybody like it's just common yeah absolutely and uh there's a lot of really funny things that happened in this episode i like ayaz's whole outlook at the gambling house and stuff like that 
he even warned Rin originally, like, if that's where we're going, that, you know, that's where I'm going to be. I'm going to be there the whole time. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I thought that was kind of funny, and it really fits his character that he's out for treasure. So, of course, he goes to the gambling house and basically stays there until someone comes to get him. And the soothsayer really, I was looking at him, he's just a big giant jellyfish. Like, he's a jellyfish in a jar. Oh, I totally forgot about this. At the very end of this episode, Bloth goes back to the soothsayer and just basically kicks the thing over. And I would assume the soothsayer dies because he obviously breathes that water or whatever liquid he's in. Bloth is relentless. He kicks over that jellyfish jar and the poor soothsayer just because things didn't go his way. So one thing that I wanted to note, and it, it's it happens in the next episode too, and it's becoming habit. Hopefully, this doesn't happen in any of the other episodes of the series. But Rin sure gets kidnapped a lot. Like he <laughs> he gets kidnapped like three times in the three episodes that we watched. It's like every episode he's kidnapped or held captive, which is I think is weird because. Unlike a lot of shows from the era, Ren seems to be a very capable leader. Like, I I think back to animated shows like, if you look at, like, X-Men from that time, you had Cyclops. Mm -hmm. Cyclops, definitely, like, everybody's least favorite from that cartoon because being the leader was pretty much Cyclops' only job, and he was not very good. He lost crew. This happened in a lot of TV shows from that era. The, The leader was usually... Maybe not the best at what they're doing. But here, I feel like Ren is much more capable in this show than that usual stereotype. But somehow he still keeps getting kidnapped. I don't I don't get it. He gets kidnapped a lot because he is the high priority. He is the son of Primus. He is the one who can. He's really the one who, if the crew was left without him, they wouldn't be able to save Murr. So obviously he's the target. It just seems weird to me that he's gotten himself caught this many times because I feel <laughs> yeah, like he's he, much smarter and much more savvy than that. But apparently he, he's not. like he's like the princess of this show. He He's they have to go rescue him. Essentially, he is a prince because his father was the king. He just yep, didn't know he was true. a prince. But Rin is Rin is actually a pretty clever character. This episode did prove that in that he realized that being put in Bloth's body, he would be much stronger than everyone really gave credit to or like thought about. So he used that to his advantage to escape, to surprise everybody. It was pretty smart on his part. And he knew like the right things to say to get his crew's attention, things like that. So yeah, I like Rin as a main character more than I like the like main characters or leader stereotypes in other cartoons from this time. I guess you're right. I like Leonardo, though, and he's the leader of the Ninja Turtles. But I I guess what do you expect from a leader who has to lead all these different personalities? What sucks is, though, when things happen to the team, it's all going to fall on the leader. Like, it's his fault because he's in charge. It was supposed to be him to keep everybody safe. And that's not fair. That's not fair. (laughs) So I'm siding with Leonardo. I'm siding with Cyclops. I'm siding with Rin. I'm all about the leaders. Actually, another thing to point about this episode is Ayaz, this is another example of really every episode we get an example of him hating women, specifically Tula, because he's like, only Rin would be foolish enough to risk his life to save this woman. Oh, that's right. He does not think much of Tula whatsoever. I mean, he doesn't think much of women in general, but especially Tula. She's a stowaway. She is a bar maiden. You'd think he would like that. 
You, yeah, you would think so. I would expect to, I would have expected him to be more like the Gambit character, like a right. rogue. You would, but he's exactly. he's a charming rogue. But instead, he's just like, oh, bah, I hate women. Maybe he's just not telling us something. Yeah, he's all about the bros. <laughs> well, that's a good spot to move over to our last episode that we watched. This is the highest rated episode, actually. The Living Treasure, season two, episode eight, which coincidentally is also the final episode of the series before it got cut off. So here we go. Last episode, but it doesn't necessarily wrap things up. Yeah, it doesn't wrap things up at all. So this is the premise. uh, This is what happens in this episode. Some shenanigans go on. I'm not going to get into that because it wasn't really pertinent to the story. But eventually, um, the crew of the Wraith, so Ren, Ayaz, Tula, everybody, they arrive on an island seeking the next treasure because they're being pointed by the compass. This island happens to be controlled by a queendom of Amazons. Which was awesome. Per the usual, they get captured. Um, <laughs> Ren and I, Ayaz specifically are captured. And Tula actually convinces the Amazons to let her join the tribe. Nibbler arrives a little bit later because he was off kind of doing his own thing. And he kind of runs into this little critter. When he gets to the island... Basically, Nidler injures himself, and this little critter that he finds heals him. That'll be important, the little critter. They basically, they, they stay together, and basically Nidler's trying to find his friends, and the little critter guy is tagging along with him. He's like a little blue half anteater, half whatever stitches from Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> He's a small blue little alien creature who can't speak English or anything like that, but he makes noises and he can heal people. Tula gains the trust of the Amazons, and after she does so, she tries to secretly free Ren and Ayaz, but she gets caught. She gets caught, but just kind of plays it off that she was just trying to get them food. So the Amazons say, okay, well, if that's the case, you know, we're going to let you and these guys fight to the death. So Tula and Ren are supposed to fight to the death. In the meanwhile, Tula had already found Nidler and had a conversation with him, so they have a plan going. Whether Ios was part of this plan, I don't think he was. I think this just kind of worked in their favor. But Tula fights Rin to the edge of a cliff. And Ios is like, I'm not letting you do this. And he goes to try to tackle Tula, who flips him over into Rin. They fall off the cliff. But Niddler is below that cliff with a net and catches them and basically saves their lives. So it looks like Tula killed them. The Amazons are like, yay, you're our friend now. The Amazons end up capturing that little critter that was with Nidler, and when Tula tries to help it escape, she gets caught once again. She's not very subtle, apparently. Around this time, Bloth shows up to this island, because remember, he's also looking for the same treasures. He basically attacks and catches the crew off guard as they're trying to repair a glider to escape this island. But, when that happens, they actually run into the Amazons, so basically... Bloth's crew and the Amazons are duking it out while the crew of the Wraith, including Ren and all of them, grab the little critter, which they discover is actually the treasure. He's just a living treasure. They nab him and escape the island. That is the end of the show and end of the series. Yes. Very sad. This episode ended with five treasures left to find. So it wasn't like Scooby-Doo where it was like two or three left or whatever it was. This one still had five treasures left out of 13. So this was very prematurely cut off, and this wasn't even like a a soft outro. This was, yay, things are good, we've got a treasure, we're going to continue. And they even, at the end of the episode, they even get together like their friends, 
where Ayaz finally accepts Tula and he's like, you know, I don't mind crewing with you at this point. Right. So finally, when that happens, it's like, well, too late because the show's done. Yeah, now it's done and forget it. Yeah, it sucks because, yeah, like you said, like there was a lot of like things were starting to ramp up a little bit. You know, the, the relationships of the crew and they find this little critters who I imagine is would have stuck with them through the rest of the series since it's one of the treasures. And it heals things, which is cool. And it repels dark water, which is also cool. Yeah, they actually showed him. He jumped in the water and was actually able to repel some of the dark water that was creeping up from the Earth's core or from the planet's core. I imagine that this, this little guy was going to be a big part of the story. So it's like right when he's introduced, bam, it's over. It's sad. One thing to know is that the queen of the Amazons and a couple of the Amazons themselves were voiced by Tress McNeil, who is a very famous voice actress and appears in a lot of stuff, especially anything like Simpsons or Futurama related. You've, if you've watched those shows, you've heard her voice. There were also giant blue and pink lobster slugs in this episode. That there were. That there were. <laughs> <laughs> we got introduced to some a lot of new like creatures and stuff this time. For me, this episode was not... This surprised me. This is the highest rated because I think this episode wasn't as good as the others. In fact, like the whole like first third of this episode actually had nothing to do with the events that were going to happen in the rest of it. Like The first part was all just... I don't know. It was just kind of like they're going through their day. A couple random things happen here and there. I guess it's nothing of consequence. It's nothing that has any weight to it. So I feel like, to me, I, w- I got a little bored at the beginning because it really wasn't affecting anything until they actually got to the island. Niddler does get distracted by food again, this time <laughs> a, this time like a boat full of melons. Yeah, that's right. He, he was actually on someone else's boat eating their food. Yeah. <laughs> that's basically how he was separated from the crew when they arrived at the island and he got there later. Aside from mm-hmm. that, though, but they took, you know, this is a 22-minute episode, and they took eight minutes to get the, through that setup, so I don't know. I guess I enjoyed this episode, though, because I liked I liked the whole Amazon island with Tula having to make those decisions and be deceptive about it, but also what's she going to do now that she has to face off against Rin in a battle to the death? How is she going to play that off? And I like the way they did that. I like the way that it worked out. I did like that. It gave Tula a lot more emphasis in this episode which was kind of nice because she is a very interesting character and we haven't gotten to see a lot of her in the other episodes that we watched which is unfortunate because she's a geomancer too and we really don't get to see any of that in the episodes that we watched right we didn't see any of that in what we watched one thing i did want to note too is that this episode did have a lot of inconsistencies with the animation there were some little moments here and there where you would hear a character talking, but their mouth isn't moving. It might be wide open, but I mean, they're like saying full on sentences and stuff. Animation and some of the fight scenes were a little jumpy. Actually, the fight scenes towards the beginning of the episode weren't done very well, especially when they first meet the Amazons. But the fight scene once we get to where Tula's fighting against Rin was much better. So I'm not sure what happened in those first couple fights. Yeah, they're probably just because budget was low they were giving up and right. they're like well, i don't even know if we're gonna be able to continue after this yeah, so. so it's like detail just, isn't the primary yeah, just, thing here just get it done and like you said before about niddler he starts out strong and he just kind of goes downhill he becomes more of the joke 
he basically becomes what a lot of shows from this time suffered from, which is what I call the snarf syndrome, is a creature that's used as a comic relief sidekick. So you think of Snarf, you think of like Slimer with the Ghostbusters. Nidler started out not that kind of character and devolved into that kind of character, which which sucks because he started so strong. He was his own entity, and then he did devolve into, as you said, a joke character. He he was the Snarf of this show. He was the Slimer of this show. So it's unfortunate because I think he had a lot of potential within that first episode. I was really intrigued. You know, I was excited to see what happened with his character. I know there's an episode called King Niddler somewhere down the line. So I'm curious to watch that episode, actually. Well, Chris, I think it's time we rescue our inner kids from the clutches of the dark water and see what they thought of the show. All right. Let me grab my inner kid here and get him out. This cartoon was really cool because pirates. But I didn't see Jack Sparrow, but that's okay because my friend said that franchise is overrated. But it looks so cool, and the music was good, and I like all the creatures, and it makes me want to play Legends of Zelda. But I started to get a little bored in the last episode, but I do wish this cartoon went on longer, and I want to see it like a movie. And I said, four bowls of cereal with treasure marshmallows out of five. Joseph, did you see the monkey bird? Uh, yeah, yeah, Chris, I saw it, I saw it. Anyway, The Pirates of Dark Water is a tale of heroic companionship a union of individuals from very different walks of life in pursuit of a common goal. I very much enjoyed that aspect of it. Tied together with the adventures at sea, all the while being pursued by some sort of all-consuming dark water on an alien planet. Although the story isn't all that complex, there's a lot to love about this show. All that said, I would give this show four cereal bowls out of five. Come for the monkey birds, stay for the melons. Great job, kids. I'd let you be part of my crew. I'm not sure if little me just made an innuendo or if he's just a big fan of tropical fruit. I think the tropical fruit. I'm going to stick with that. Well, Chris, do you have any final thoughts on this show as an adult? You know what? I like I was saying, I really enjoyed the I enjoyed the premise. I enjoy the characters. I love the look. I love the sound of the show. There's some parts of it I don't think they handled as well as they could have. Otherwise, I would have given them five out of five. But that said, I agree with Miles from The More You Nerd completely in that this should be made into a movie. It would be a great franchise. I'm thinking Avatar meets Star Wars meets Pirates of the Caribbean. You think of it in those terms, a really high fantasy pirate movie. It would be awesome. I would love to see that. Absolutely. I agree with you there. I think it was a very entertaining show and something I I understand why I liked it as a kid. And there are portions of it that I like now, even though it became a little hollow after those first five series episodes, I think even looking back at that, the idea was there. If it had stuck with that original style, I don't know if it would have lasted even as long as it did. But I think as an adult, I would have really appreciated it more than I did the the evolution, especially of Niddler himself. He transformed from my favorite character into probably my least favorite character because of what he became. That's an unfortunate side effect of programming in general, network execs, whatever the case was. This was a cool show, and I definitely recommend going to check it out. I do too. Definitely check this one out. Well, listeners, it looks like our milk supply has now run dry. So it's time for us to say goodbye. And next week, we'll be watching Metalocalypse. Suggested via Twitter by at panic underscore moon 42. Once again, I'm Joseph. And I'm Chris. And we'll see you next Saturday. 
Thanks everyone for listening. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Definitely reach out and let us know what cartoon you'd like us to cover, along with some of your favorite episodes so we can feature them on our show. You can make a request, see the current request list, or speak with the show host by visiting the Cartoon Boom subreddit. You can also connect with our network by visiting nerdsloth.com or searching for Nerdsloth on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. See you next Saturday. 